Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great pleasure to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week, Mel Duncan. Mel Duncan is a co-founder and the current director of advocacy and outreach for Nonviolent Peace Force, an international non-governmental organization that provides direct protection to civilians caught in violent conflict and works with local civil society groups on violence deterrence throughout the world. He has received numerous awards. The Utney Reader named Duncan one of 50 visionaries who are changing our world. The American Friends Service Committee nominated Nonviolent Peace Force for the 2016 Nobel Peace Prize. Mel Duncan, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. David, it's good to be with you today. It's great to have you on. We should have had you on before now, and I'm delighted to say that you've agreed to come and speak at a conference in Washington, D.C., being organized by World Beyond War in September called No War 2016, uh, and people can find that at worldbeyondwar.org. Uh, tell us what what Nonviolent Peace Force does and what unarmed civil protection is. Nonviolent Peace Force provides direct protection to civilians who are under threat of war and persecution. We have a team of well-trained, unarmed civilian protectors who are invited to areas of violent conflict. And while there, they carry out a variety of nonviolent strategies that have been shown to work to protect civilians and also work with local groups on violence deterrence. And this work is so important at this moment in history because in mid-June, the UN High Commission on Refugees issued their annual report that showed that 65 million of us fled our homes because of war and persecution over the past year. More people are displaced by war for longer periods of time than any time since World War II. And tragically, it is getting worse. And, and when we look through that list of leading countries uh, from which refugees are fleeing and which have internally displaced persons, uh, most of it lines up pretty well with the countries that the United States has been waging wars in, does it not? Um, certainly with some of them. If we look at countries like Afghanistan, Syria, and Iraq, uh, we can trace the U.S. invasions there and the U.S. military operations. And in Syria, uh, their uh, support of uh, rebels who uh, have been doing some pretty horrendous things, uh, we can uh, trace that to U.S. foreign policy. In other areas, there's not such a direct connection. For example, in South Sudan, uh, where the U.S. is involved, but not nearly as much as uh, some other countries, uh, places like Burundi, places like the Central African Republic and the Democratic uh, Republic of the Congo, also are uh, major contributors uh, to the refugee uh, crisis that we face right now. And so in what countries does Nonviolent Peace Force work, and what does that work look like? Our largest 
project is in South Sudan, where we have a little over 200 people who are working in 10 locations around the country. This is a country that lapsed into a uh, civil war about two and a half years ago after about uh, six years of relative calm. Uh, It's also the newest country in the world and arguably the poorest country in the world. And uh, a, a civil war broke out between two political rivals primarily, and all of this is fueled by uh, geopolitics on on one level, and then uh, ethnic divisions are exploited on another level. And so millions of people have been displaced, and tens of thousands have been killed over the last 30 months or so. So an example of the kind of work we do, David, comes in areas that are known as protection of civilian areas. These are areas where people have fled and are congregating in proximity of UN compounds to try to gain some type of security uh, through proximity. We have a team of about 50 unarmed civilian protectors in uh, a place called Bentu in the north where now there are over 100,000 people who are living. Each day, women have to leave those areas to collect firewood. And because now they've been there for over two years, the immediate surroundings are pretty well defoliated, so they're having to walk as far as 10 kilometers into the bush. Cadres of government soldiers and rebel soldiers will lurk and will gang rape uh, the women. This is part of a military strategy where increasingly rape is becoming a weapon of war. What we have found is that if three or four of our unarmed civilian protectors accompany 20 to 30 women, the soldiers look the other way. They leave them alone. This has been 100% successful for over a year now. So that's one example of the kind of work uh, that we do. Another example is uh, to have teams, and our teams in uh, South Sudan come from 26 different countries, to have teams in areas that are vulnerable to attack. Because we find that if our teams are there, they serve as a deterrent. So another example, uh, we had just two, uh, in this case men, although I want to emphasize that half of our civilian protectors are women, and that's very significant, but in the story I'm about to tell you, uh, it was two man, men, uh, a fellow by the name of Derek from the United Kingdom, and Andreas from Mexico. And they were with 14 women and children when the area uh, where they were with these um, uh, people was attacked by a militia. They took the 14 women and children into a tent and stood in the doorway while people outside were being shot point blank. 
on three occasions, rebel militia came to Andreas and Derek and pointed AK-47s at their head and said, you have to go. We want those people. And on all three occasions, very calmly, Andreas and Derek held up their nonviolent peace force identity badges and said, we are unarmed, we are here to protect civilians, and we will not leave. After the third time, the militia left, and the people were spared. So those are two examples of the kind of work that we do in South Sudan. And wonderful examples, and risky examples. Have you had anyone hurt or killed in working for Nonviolent Peace Force? We have been in the field now for almost 13 years, and during that time we have had four conflict-related injuries. Uh, I'm sorry, five. Five conflict-related injuries three of which were accidental, and uh, one uh, where one of our civilian protectors was kidnapped uh, in Mindanao in the southern Philippines and was held for 111 days, and he was injured during that time. And then in December, one of our uh, women protectors was thrown to the ground by a soldier and had a gun held to her head, but her teammates interpositioned themselves and were able to uh, have the uh, talk the soldier off. So those are our five injuries that we've had. And while we do accept that what we do does involve a fair amount of risk, we mitigate those risks because we aren't there to make martyrs of ourselves. The strategy of stopping a bullet only happens or is only successful once. Yeah. And life is precious to us. The life of the people we're working with, but also our own life. And so we have strict security protocols that people are trained in and that we have to follow. And if we don't, we go home. Uh, because we can't risk ourselves and others uh, trying to be lone wolf or trying to be um, overly heroic. What we employ are strategic methods of nonviolence that have been shown to protect civilians. And And we do that, and it works, uh, but we stay within our strategies that are always based upon a conflict analysis in an ongoing context analysis. And of course, if you were using violent techniques, there would uh, be at least as good a chance of casualties, injuries, deaths. Uh, people get quite upset uh, with nonviolence that someone might get hurt or killed, uh, whereas with violence, uh, it's it's even more likely, and those lives are just as tragically lost. Um, we, we're speaking. So that's, Sorry, that's a very good point. Um, in the example that I gave with Andreas and Derek, where they stood in the doorway of the tent, both of them said, if we would have been armed, we would have been killed. But right. because we were unarmed, it changed the equation. 
Right. This is what people have to understand. Uh, we're speaking with Mel Duncan, who is a co-founder of Nonviolence Peace Force. Um, are, are there, uh, other than South Sudan, can you list any other parts of the world that you've worked in? Yes, we currently have a project in Mindanao, in the southern Philippines, where we have been since 2007. We were an important part of a ceasefire that was implemented in 2009, and for four years we were uh, invited by both the Armed Forces of the Philippines and the Moro Islamic Liberation Front, which was the and is the major rebel group, to oversee the civilian protection component of that ceasefire. Uh, now there is a comprehensive peace agreement that is being implemented, and so we have a team that's there working to uh, uh, help keep things stable uh, as that uh, peace agreement is implemented. We also have a team that is in Myanmar, where we are also working with both the government and the various uh, ethnic groups on a comprehensive ceasefire and on how that is implemented on the ground. Now, as that country goes through a transition to a more civilian-led government, we uh, last fall started a project working with Syrian civil society and are working with a coalition of uh, Syrian groups, some of whom support the government, some of whom oppose the government, and others who are neutral, and working with them on very localized civilian protection and violence deterrence kinds of projects. In addition to that, right now we're raising money to uh, provide protection to those refugees who are uh, caught in Greece, and uh, now as the the border uh, into Macedonia has been shut off and it's increasingly hard to move, uh, there's a group of uh, tens of thousands of refugees who are stranded and facing uh, a variety of protection issues. So we're raising money for that, and just uh, this month, we completed a on-the-ground assessment of what we might do in Burundi. So we're looking at those possibilities at, at this moment. I'm sure that this work uh, costs a great deal of money, but in comparison with what governments of the world spend on militarism, uh, it has to be dirt cheap. Uh, I mean, compared to putting tens of billions of dollars uh, into promoting violence, arming and training proxy armies in in places like Syria and Iraq that desperately cry out for this kind of work. Uh, what, you know, what does it cost and what are governments putting into it? Is, is the U.S. government funding your work at all? Well, you're, uh, you're right, um, first of all, in that war and violence is incredibly expensive. Just this month, the Global Peace Index uh, issued their annual report where they found that in 2015 alone, the world, 
it cost our world $13.6 trillion in terms of the cost of violence. David, that 13% of the world economic activity that works out to almost $1,900 per person for everybody on the planet, that's the cost of violence. And when you look at what we're doing, we're actually the fiscal conservatives because strategic unarmed approaches to the protection of civilians and to conflict transformation are much less expensive. So, for example, our unarmed civilian protectors, uh, who come from throughout the world, but always at least half of them come from the host country, uh, it costs us about $50,000 on average. That takes care of their room, their board, their transportation, their uniforms, their insurance, and, and a, a monthly stipend. Because all of our people are paid. Because we believe this should be a profession. So for those of us who are listening today, who pay taxes in the United States, we pay about $1 million per soldier in Afghanistan. So think of that. $50,000 compared to $1 million. We are not only effective, but we're a bargain. And, and, but are you getting any U.S. government money at all? Just recently, uh, we uh, got a grant from uh, the State Department for our work in South Sudan. I uh, hasten to point out that there are a variety of both multi-government organizations and uh, nation-states who have been providing us with funding, including the UN High Commission on Refugees, UNICEF, the UN Children's Fund, uh, the European Union, the um, governments of Belgium, of uh, the Netherlands, of Norway, United Kingdom, Australia, and so we do get government support. We uh, haven't given up on the U.S. Uh, to give more support. In fact, Keith Ellison, uh, who is a representative from Minneapolis and uh, was one of Bernie Sanders' picks for the Democratic Platform Committee, right now has a resolution that he's advocating where... Um, one penny on the dollar uh, that goes to the Pentagon would go for unarmed approaches. And that's uh, being advocated as we speak uh, before the Democratic Platform Committee. Is that it's something he's put into a, a, a bill, into legislation introduced in Congress, or, or just something for the Democratic Party platform? Right now it's for the platform, but we'll see where that goes. Well, if it goes somewhere, we should get peace organizations uh, promoting it because this a is a penny on the dollar. You bet. A wonder, I mean, we want more than that, but this is a you know a start, and this is a, a wonderful alternative to war. Um, what about the United Nations? I mean, the United Nations was supposed to be an organization to do away with war. Uh, yes. It mostly uses armed forces. It deploys more armed troops around the world than anybody other than the Pentagon. Uh, what is the UN's approach to unarmed civilian protection? Well, you're right that the 
armed peacekeeping has predominated the UN's approach during their first 70 years to um, the protection of civilians and the ending of the scourge of war, as, as you referenced that in the charter of the UN. Um, we have seen some changes in the past year. There were two major reviews that were conducted, one on uh, UN peace operations, and the second one was on um, women, peace, and security. Both of those reviews recommended and cited unarmed civilian protection. In fact, the Global Review on UN Peace Operations said unarmed approaches must be at the forefront of UN efforts to protect civilians. And so we're seeing a shift. We are, are dealing with a huge bureaucracy that is a club of nation states. And remember, nation states, uh, almost all of them are predicated upon violence. And so I, it, it is uh, a bit of a task, but we're seeing openings. We're finding that those people at the UN, diplomats, bureaucrats, even the military advisors, who are looking at the immensity of the problem of violence against civilians, Anyone who is paying close attention to that, first of all, is uh, 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 totally uh, overwhelmed. But secondly, it is, we are looking for those effective and efficient ways where civilians can be protected at a scale that meets the need. And that argument for grassroots approaches that can be replicated and scaled up that are nonviolent, if we are truly going to address the uh, need of the violence against civilians today. Do you have hope that the, that the United Nations will move significantly in that direction? Uh, do you have hope that the UN... Uh, can be reformed, and do you share my view that it's in need of some democratizing reforms? <laughs> well, you know, I, I've spent a lot of the last four years uh, working at the UN, and to work there, you either have to be an incrementalist or a masochist, and it helps to be both. Um, and so within that context, uh, yes, uh, there is change. We have seen change. Uh, it is in need of major democratic reforms. Now, I don't think that the permanent five members of the um, Security Council are going to give up their veto. Uh, in fact, that's one of the few things right now that unites the United States and Russia, uh, is anytime there's a threat to the veto power, they are arm-in-arm. Arm. Right. Uh, but there are other reforms that are going on. For example, uh, a reform that's been uh, pushed by uh, member states like Switzerland and Costa Rica and Jordan that uh, would reform the working procedures 
of the Security Council. And a major reform there would be that in issues that uh, involve atrocity crimes, that the permanent five would voluntarily not use their veto. So they could vote like the other ten members, but they would not invoke veto power. So that is uh, working its way. That That is a general assembly resolution, which is democratic. All 90, 193 members each have one vote. Uh, another, uh, a couple of other reforms that are significant is, is right now the um, UN is going through their uh, process to select a new secretary general and um, I, that uh, is a more transparent process, at least to date. And I think there is a very good chance that the next Secretary General will, will be a woman. And there's a lot of energy and advocacy for that. Thirdly, there is uh, the Sustainable Development Goals, the 17 goals that were passed unanimously by the General Assembly last September that do move us ahead as a planet towards uh, environmental, economic, and peace sustainability. There's a a goal specifically on uh, peaceful communities that's one of those 17. And then I think the fourth thing where I find hope is in these global reviews where uh, expert panels from around the world are coming back and advocating very strongly that there has to be a focus on unarmed and nonviolent approach. I, I hope that continues and uh, and develops uh, a little less incrementally. Uh, we, we're running out of time with a couple minutes left. Can you tell people uh, how they might get involved, learn more, or help support Nonviolent Peace Force? Well, first let me say we need everybody. Uh, this is a broad, broad effort. Uh, people can go to our website, which is nonviolentpeaceforce.org. We uh, consistently recruit for new civilian protectors in the field. Uh, this is the, the hardest work that you'll ever love. And uh, so there are those opportunities. There are all, also opportunities here in the United States to volunteer. We have local chapters in various parts of the country who do education and support work. We have marvelous interns who work with us year-round and really advance our work. We need support in communication, uh, in organizing events around the country where we will have people come and talk about reasonable alternatives to the military madness that's escalating. It's a wonderful project. I encourage everyone to support it. We have been speaking with Mel Duncan. He is a co-founder and currently the director of advocacy and outreach for Nonviolent Peace Force. The website, again, is nonviolentpeaceforce.org. Check it out. Get involved. Uh, And Mel Duncan will be speaking at our conference in Washington, D.C. in September. Uh, Check it out at worldbeyondwar.org, and there will be 
other events uh, at that time around the country and around the world. Uh, and we encourage you to get the resources to start your own and World Beyond War will help you do that. Uh, Mel Duncan, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Well, thank you, David, and I look forward to seeing you and working with you in September. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.